Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Let's go to work. Grab your Bibles and uh, <clears throat> we're going to go to Haggai and Ezekiel. We are actually uh, picking up where we left off on Reset Weekend. This is another part of Kingdom Advance uh, tonight. Tomorrow night I'm really excited about more than even tonight. Tonight's very foundational, but tomorrow night I'm going to be reaching into the hearts of uh, laity and leadership and uh, we're really going to tear down some things and break some cycles because God told me to start building strong men and women because uh, we can't be strong out there if we're not strong in here and he's really downloaded some stuff so even I know some of you's got uh, games and this and that you may not be able to be here but we're going to stream it live too are we streaming right now is it working is it on uh, so you'll be able to catch it because I don't want you to miss it. And uh, I believe God's going to begin to unfold some kingdom realities and revelations uh, between now and January. Uh, I'm telling you, we're going into 2020, a transformed, changed, governmental, uh, ruling, reigning ecclesia. Um, <clears throat> so it's really important. I know we do Bible studies and, and, and we do our preachings and stuff. I need you to understand that we're in a special time, and it's the acceptable time that I preached this morning, that things maybe that didn't stick last time, that you heard it, they're going to stick this time. And maybe they didn't produce the fullness of what you've heard before. We're in a season to where they're going to produce in your life. So I'm telling you, you ought to be taking notes. You ought to be jotting something down. Uh, so that you can remember this. I've told you before, probably if sermons are being preached that you don't take home and pray through, you probably don't get out of that, re that revelation what you could have. Uh, I want to encourage you, write down something to remind you what was taught so you can go into prayer time and start praying that revelation into you. Um, <clears throat> okay, Haggai, chapter number one. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, where'd that come from? <laughs> Haggai 1, 7 and 8. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. We're in that reset right now. We're just in uh, kingdom advance phase. Uh, but to me, reset is us stopping and considering our ways. What are we doing? How are we doing? Are we being successful at it? Or are we just going through religious routines just to maintain some type of religious stability? So we're stopping to consider our ways, and that's what we're going to do tonight with some of the topics I'm about to cover. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain. Somebody say go up. That's so important, and I'm going to do more teaching on that going up to the mountain. The mountain represents the high place, that spiritual place, the supernatural place. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, and build the house. This is God uh, telling them how to build his house. And he said, when you go to the mountain, when you go to the high place, when you get your material from the high place of prayer, fasting, seeking the face of God into that uh, realm with God, look what he says. If you'll go to the mountain, if you'll bring wood, if you'll build the house, I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, says the Lord. Sometimes what religion does is try to help you be self-satisfied 
to where you're just satisfied with yourself. Amen. But true Christianity is all about bringing glory to God. So God said, I want you to be a house, uh, build a house not that you're satisfied with or it caters to who you are, but one that I can take pleasure in and one I can be glorified in. I don't know about y'all, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over that hill, I guess they say. Uh, uh, and I don't know if it's got something to do with my age, but my cry to God is I want to be a part of a church who's impacting nations. How about you? I want to be a part of a church that's turning our community upside down. I don't want to maintain uh, a, a group of people until Jesus comes. Uh, that's the way I pray. Uh, so I know he's downloading this stuff in me. So I need you to remember that scripture. Go to the mountain, get the wood, uh, come back and build my house. I'm going to take pleasure in it, and I'm going to be glorified in it, says the Lord. Okay, go with me to Ezekiel 36. For you that took notes in the last class, you know I'm reading the same scriptures. Ezekiel 36, 1 through 3. You may say, well, you know, I'm not a note taker. I'm telling you, I never was either. I, I challenge you, and especially since Cherish just started teaching. She pours out so much stuff, I, I, I couldn't remember it all. So I began to take notes. You'll be so surprised how much this will help you if you will. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 1 through 4. says, And thou, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. You understand he's talking about the church. Amen. Prophesy to the church. If y'all pray with us on Sunday morning, you're going to hear me. I'm prophesying into this body when I pray. I'm speaking into this body. Uh, verse number two. Thus saith the Lord, because the enemy has said against you, Aha, even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Therefore, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God, because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, that you may be a possession unto the residue of the heathen, and you are taken up in the lips of the talkers and are an infamy of the people. I don't want to be negative tonight, but I'm telling you, the church is, is, is bearing a bad reputation. And it's up to somebody to turn it. Why? Not so we can be made famous, but so God can be made famous. Amen. People drive through communities and every church has got a stigma nearly. You know, well, this and goes on there. This and goes on there. I am determined to cut the head off of that thing. Are y'all with me? That we're a body of Christ to where I can tell you about this. They drive by and say, uh, matter of fact, uh, the, one of the prophets says they're going to drive by and say, look at that place. It's flourishing like the Garden of Eden. Eden, that's the glory of God. That's what I want to be a part of. Uh, Four, therefore, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to run back through this, even though I, I taught this. Uh, he said, the devil is actually saying, aha, we have taken their ancient high places uh, in our possession. Uh, the word aha is a statement of ridicule. That When the enemy says aha, it's a mockery to you. The other thing it is, it's a statement of surprise. So it's almost if the enemy is surprised that we gave up our high places so easy. Okay? And we're going to start naming some of them. Uh, some things that are very important that we build this foundation with. He said, aha, I have taken their ancient high places. Ancient as opposed to old means that thing that is enduring. Ancient means, uh, in other words, that thing that is eternal. 
It's not talking about something this old. It's talking about something is eternal. It never gets old. It's never outdated. It's always relevant. Uh, it's always requisite in every generation. There's some things that churches do as tradition. That tradition usually will die out because it's not relevant to the next younger generation. But we want to build a church on things that are eternal that never die out. They're relevant from generation to after generation after generation. And that's the struggle of churches sometimes in growing. We don't understand the difference between being relevant and being real. And we think we got to compromise foundational truths to be relevant to our society. We'll always be changing externally. But what we build the kingdom on never changes. The truth of God's word. The spirit of the living God. Are you following me? So that's the things we're going to deal with today. Uh, he said, aha, we've taken their ancient high places. High places is an elevated place of honor. This is going to be important for, for where we're going. It's something that is sacred. It's something that is held in high esteem because it's exalted in excellence and dignity. So in other words, uh, Satan said, we have stolen that thing that has eternal value and handed them things that only have temporal value. Another word for that is compromise. We compromise things with eternal value and grasp after things that are temporal and changing. It's just a fad. Are y'all listening to me? And it will pass. Uh, when we start using fads to gain people, we are setting up our own destruction because that fad will change and that person will too. Are y'all with me tonight? Amen. Uh, the word high place means it's held, y'all going to remember this word, in veneration. Veneration means the highest degree of respect and reverence. The devil said, I have taken from them those spiritual, eternal values that they used to hold in a high uh, esteem, things that they used to have great respect for, I've taken it. And the genius of the devil is to leave the, uh, leave the activity and take your honor. Amen? That's the genius of the enemy. Because we think if we're still doing it, we're still okay. And what he's trying to show us here, now he'll leave the activity, but he'll steal your honor. He'll leave the prayer life, but take your honor for it. He'll, he'll leave your little Bible study, but take your honor for it. Uh, anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's called religion. And God said, that's not the house I'm pleased in, and it's not the house I can be glorified in. And then prayer becomes works. Fasting just becomes activity. We're going to get into that of what that looks like. I need you to catch that. Uh, so the devil said, aha, I've taken their high places of, uh, their ancient high places, their places of veneration. I've, stole a I've stolen a degree of awe from them. This is important right here. Has the devil stolen our awe in our worship services? Think about it. I think we all could say probably as individuals and corporately. When we enter into worship, is there a level of awe there and of respect that this is so holy and sacred? This is spiritual activity with God? And let me tell you something. He'll never steal nothing out of this house he don't first steal out of your house. Am I right about it? 
You know, they come out with this when I was taking prayer out of school. Everybody fighting for school. Amen. My argument was, do you fight that hard for prayer in your home? Or is this a good show to fight that they don't take prayer out of school? Why don't we fight to get prayer back in our home? Are you following me? Amen. So uh, I'm telling you, we're going to build one building block at a time, and we're going to put our honor and respect back where it belongs. Amen. You can always tell. I want to read that full definition of veneration. I've stolen your high places, those places you hold in veneration. And I want to define it because I'm going to use that word a lot. It's the highest degree of respect and reverence. It's respect mingled with some degree of awe. It's a feeling of sentiment that is exci- that's excited by, listen, I want to get this definition out right. It's a feeling of sentiment excited by, excited by the dignity of a thing, a place, or a person. Do you have a level of awe that there's a sentimental feeling when you pray? Are you following me? When you grab your Bible, do we possess a sense of awe that creates a sentimental feeling of how holy that thing is, how righteous that thing is, how powerful that thing is? Amen. That's what the devil's stolen. We're we're too religious for him to steal our Bibles. Amen. Even if you don't read it like you should, every now and then out of guilt we're going to pick it up. Amen. God's wanting to bring us back not to regular Bible reading, read the Bible in a year. Nothing wrong with any of that. He's wanting us to bring us back to where that Bible is so sacred and holy that there is a sentiment about us. And I'm going to give you some scriptures to show that how some of the men of old uh, seen that Bible. Amen. God said, this is the house I'm going to be pleased with. And remember, this is a house and this is a house, Right? Okay, so Satan has, uh, the genius of Satan is to steal these high places, but not the activity. uh, He wants to steal the honor that is required. Amen. I'm going to say this again. He wants to steal the honor that is required for it to be acceptable unto God. Religion says, do it, do it, do it. Pray more, fast more. If you fast more, God's going to be pleased with it. If you pray more, God's going to be pleased with it. That has an element of truth in it, but it's so distorted that it turns into religious activity to where it turns into manipulation. And God said, with that, I'm not pleased. Are you following me? So I don't want us to add activity. I really don't. I don't want us to add more activity. I want us to create relationship that produces more activity, produces more prayer. Produce, uh, you understand? Boy, that's coming out high. Ain't it? <laughs> uh, I'm getting excited, I guess. Are y'all with me? Do y'all feel me tonight? I want you to feel me as much as you hear me about this. And let me tell you, everything I'm teaching you right now cannot be manufactured by the flesh. It has to come by the Spirit. The Spirit has to birth that hunger in you. It has to birth that desire in you. If I created it, then it's manufactured by the flesh. And it's just flesh carnal works. But I think God is is getting ready to baptize us as we receive the right information to know how to pray uh, about this thing instead of Tammy. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Very good point because he told them that. He said, you like to pray to be seen. You know, you pray here and there. It's, it's, they're doing the right thing, but from a wrong platform, you know, from a wrong motive. But we think it's so a badge of spirituality, you know, when God says, I, I don't want that because our God's about relationship. And that's what I wanted to boil back down for life church. So it's the genius of the enemy to leave the activity, but take the veneration, take the, 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 the passion and, the, and, and uh, uh, the respect for it. So the enemy said, aha, I've got them because I've taken their high places. Why does he know that? Because in Habakkuk, or was that Haggai? Haggai, he said, go to the high place to get the material. To build my house with. So if the enemy takes the high places, then we have no, how, how are we going to build his house? We can build this house and we can build religion. Amen. Now I need y'all to personalize this to you as an individual and then to you as a family and then we'll go to the church. Okay. Uh, so if he takes all your high places or if he steals your respect for that high place, and you still got the activity in your home, but really you're just going through a ritual, then you can't build God's house over your marriage. You can't build God's house over your children. You can't build it over your own mind and your heart. Are you with me? So if he takes these high places, we have nothing to build. Okay, I begin to pray for God to show me some of these high places, places that should uh, uh, carry such an awe of veneration and respect, what, what are some of those things? So in order to, find, uh, to know what they was, I went back to the early church. And I'm telling you, we could teach for weeks, and y'all could throw some out here of, of the building blocks that the church was built on. Well, the very first one, uh, and Josh did a teaching on this, and I asked him to go back and find it, but it didn't get recorded. That's when we built these altars in its own prayer. On prayer. The very first building block that built the church was on prayer. It's timeless. It don't get old. Are you listening to me? It's the most eternal spiritual thing you'll ever do. Hence, it's the hardest thing you'll do. Can I just get somebody to say amen? Why? Because it's contrary to your flesh and it's so spiritual by nature there's nothing about you that really wants to get pulled into prayer. Now, for you that's, that's deeper in prayer, you'll find out that you become spiritual enough that your spirit will pull you into prayer. Okay? But until you get to that place, there is a battle. There is a kingdom of heaven suffering violence and the violet take it by force because everything in your five senses does not want to pray. You would rather get up and go out on the street and do a great work for Jesus than get in a place of prayer. Can I get some help? Because it's you and God. We're going to get into prayer. But, but why is prayer number one? Here's the, one, the first reason the church was born in a prayer meeting. Prayer was the birthing room of the church. Okay? I said prayer was, it is the foundational element of prayer. If the devil takes prayer, prayer meeting is the hardest meeting of the church to pull off. It just is. 
We got all kinds of excuses, this and that. I ain't even going to shoot at none of them. I'm just saying it is. Uh, and number one, you can tell the power of the thing. You can measure the power of the thing by measuring the tack on it. Does that make sense to you? Whatever the devil fights the hardest is the most important thing, and prayer is one of them. Can I get a witness? <laughs> prayer. <laughs> prayer. Uh, the church was born in prayer. Uh, the birthing room of prayer. Listen to this. Whatever environment you were born in is the very environment it takes to sustain your life. Does that put it in perspective? Man, I was praying and God just beginning. He said, if you're born a land dweller, then it takes the environment of oxygen to sustain you. But if you were born a sea dweller, or if you were born in the water, then it takes that environment to sustain the life that was born in it. Are, are you following me? Amen. Well, this law cannot be broken. You cannot survive outside your native environment. And the church was born in prayer. So if we were born in prayer, it's going to take prayer to sustain this thing called the church. If oxygen is what I was born into that sustains me uh, and, and caused me to live the life I was born with, then prayer is the environment that the church was born with and the only way it can be sustained is in an environment of prayer. Somebody look at your neighbor and tell them you got to pray. So, the ch thank you, son-in-law. He's with me. He was so wrapped up there it just came out. So, the church was born in a 10-day prayer meeting. Would you agree? The church was conceived in an environment of prayer. Uh, if you're taking any notes whatsoever, write down Acts 1.14. The church was conceived in an environment of prayer. Before the day of Pentecost, before Acts chapter number 2, Acts chapter number 1, verse number 14 tells what they were doing in that upper room. These all continued with one accord in Prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with all the brethren. <laughs> and then scripture after scripture proved it was this environment of prayer that sustained the church. Write down Acts 14, 17. Here's what happened. Peter and John happened, by the way, Pete, uh, Patty preached it this morning. Amen. Said, silver and gold such as I have, I, I don't have, but such as I give you, I, I Whatever he said. <laughs> anyway, they come by, jerk the crippled man up. This is just right after Pentecost. This is, this is the church is going and growing. It was born in a prayer meeting. Uh, and all of a sudden, because of the miracles, they started threatening the church. What did the church do when it got threatened? <laughs> what did it just know to do? When it got threatened, Acts 4, 17, uh, well, that's the threat. It spread no further among the people. He said, don't let this, I'm, I'm getting fast here, ain't I? But that it spread no further among the people, let us threaten them that they don't speak of Jesus anymore. And they called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Are you with me? So when they got threatened, write down Acts 4.24. It says, and when they heard that, when they heard the threat, 
When they heard, we're going to crucify you. When they heard, we're going to whip you at the whipping post. Whatever that threat was. When they heard, we're going to throw you into jail. Their first response is Acts 4.24. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. They said, we know what to do. Huh? We're not going to have a board meeting. We're not going to get on Facebook. We're not going to call this one. We're not going to call that one. We, we instinctively, somebody say prayer is an instinct. It ought to be an instinct if that's the kind of church you're born into. That's the culture I want to create to where we instinctively pray first. Are you following me? They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which made heaven and earth, went into prayer. Look at, uh, write down Acts 4.31. You don't have to look because I am running. Write it down. These are probably in your notes. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Catch this. They got threatened. They knew to go to prayer. Somebody needs to get that for some reason. Whatever's threatening you, the early church taught us the answer is prayer. Okay, what's threatening your relationship? What's threatening your finances? What's threatening your mind? What's threatening your peace? What's threatening your joy? Amen. Go to prayer. Go to prayer. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That's a great point, amen. They, they were so born in the Holy Ghost that that was a natural native uh, response is to pray and be filled with the Holy Ghost again. <laughs> Ask your neighbor, have you been filled again? Amen. Just because you got filled one time and maybe spoke in tongues one time, the church had a habit of praying until they were filled again. And look what happens when you pray and are refilled. So prayer is a precursor to a refilling. So maybe that's the answer to when I start leaking. You know, we all leak. You ever notice that? Uh, so full. And if you don't stay prayed up, your peace leaks out. Your joy will leak out. Your boldness will leak out. Somebody say amen right there. Because that's, that's, uh, that happens to me. My boldness. And look what happened to them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Prayer was the remedy for timidity. That almost rhymed. I liked it. Somebody write it down, tweet it or something. Prayer is the remedy for timidity and fear. Prayer was the source of their boldness. Uh, if you want to push back fear, if you want to push back timidity, they knew, come together and pray. Come together and pray. And I do like this too. They were assembled together in prayer. I'm going to push that uh, a little uh, because uh, I, I know you're praying people, but the church was founded on corporate prayer as well. That's why we have corporate prayer. I want to encourage you again, and I want to push you again, that the corporate prayer is not just for a few who wants to pray. Corporate prayer is for us. 5.30, come at 6 on Wednesday. 9, 9.30, 9.30 on Sundays. It's corporate prayer where we come together and pray. And it says when they come together and pray, things were shaken. Maybe that prayer, pre-service prayer is what shakes up the atmosphere. Are y'all with me? So prayer is your personal connection to God. Therefore, prayer is relational and not religious. I so need you to get that. If prayer is, what is prayer? Prayer is your connect, your personal. 
connection to God. Therefore, prayer is relational and not religious. The devil don't care if you pray religiously. It does not change you. It doesn't change you. I don't know how to teach something so spiritual. Uh, no, no, no. It don't change your habits. It don't change your character. You'll know if you're a religious prayer, if it doesn't change your frame of mind, it doesn't change you. It's, you've not entered into a relational prayer. Can I tell you, you can pray for years and miss this and just have a religious prayer that carries no weight, amen, because I'm not changing it's not stirring me. So I need you to write that down that prayer is relational, not religious. In other words, you shouldn't wear, Tammy, this is it. You shouldn't wear prayer like a badge of religious accomplishment. You know? And, and, and sometimes that's what prayer turns into. You know? Well, I prayed. <laughs> I prayed 30 minutes or I pray an hour a day. Amen. You can't never pray enough. Pray four hours a day if you can. Amen. But if we don't get it coming from a relational perspective, a 20-minute relational prayer is better than a three-hour religious prayer to where I'm just wearing a badge and, boy, I got it in and I must be spiritual. Am I making any sense to y'all? I just want it to be so clear to you because, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to put a time limit on prayer that you need to pray this long. And the only time we got anything, Jesus said, could you not tarry with me one hour? He stayed three hours and expected one hour out of them. He prayed all night. We're going to go through that. But I just want us to get back to praying a prayer that's uh, not religious. It's relational. But I will say this. Relationships can't be built on a whim. <laughs> it does take time to build a relationship. And another thing a relationship can't be built on is a to-do list. If my prayer is, okay, here's what I want you to do. <laughs> you know, that's not mo much intercourse. Uh, and we're going to go a little deeper in that. Amen. Uh, so, so you shouldn't wear prayer like a badge of religious accomplishment. But rather, prayer is a privilege of a personal relationship with God. If you'll just slow down and go into prayer with this thought, things may start changing for you in prayer. I know they will. So, in other words, you can no more have a relationship with God without prayer than you can have a relationship with a spouse or a friend without communication. And the greater the communication, the greater the friendship. The deeper the communication, the deeper the friendship. You know, you got friends that are acquaintances, right? And then you got friends on a deeper level. And there's some things you talk to friends on a deeper level about that you're not finna talk to an acquaintance about. Are you following me? Amen. Still friends. Well, how you doing? Good. And then there's others that man, I, I need to share what I'm going through. You know, I, I need to. Why? Because you've built something with that individual. How? With time spent. You can, if you're going to build this type of relationship with God, you're going to have to spend time with God. Not public time with God. Private time with the Lord. Sometimes you may just have to sit and be quiet. Sometimes you may just need to create an environment of honor. 
and give him time to talk to you. If you pray with me very much, I'm loud. And I'm just going to be loud. And I pray in the Holy Ghost. I pray in the Spirit. But while I'm praying in the Spirit, my mind's receiving from God. My mind's in neutral. You understand? But some of I mean, it, it, this is the thing about relationship. I can't draw you a picture of how your relationship's supposed to look. If I did, it would be following rules. Have you noticed the Old Testament is full of worship services? I mean, they named the instruments. They named the singers. They named the praise team. It's all laid out there. In the New Testament, there's not one worship service. You have no clue in the New Testament what God expects out of you out of worship. You want to know why? Because the Old Testament was about religion. The New Testament is about relationship. And when it comes to relationship, it's a personal experience with our God. Are you following me? So he wants it to be real coming from you. We know we ought to lift our hands. We know we can lift our voices. We know all of these things. But God wants you to have your relationship with God. So don't let nobody condemn you over it. Uh, but also, don't let nobody outdo you in it. Yeah, I meant that. It just come out, but I meant it. Nobody's going to love him like I love him. Uh, you hear me? I want him. I want him. I want to get so close to him. I, I got to get. I got to go. Relationship slash communication is a unique activity. Think of this in prayer. And then I need to go on because we done talked about prayer. But relationship slash communication. The reason I'm saying that is you cannot separate relationship from communication. How can you have a relationship with anybody you don't communicate with? Or if you do, it's superficial. You ever get in superficial conversations? They're just right off the top, buddy. I'm just getting through here. <laughs> I'm really done talking to you, but, you know. Are y'all following me? Y'all do that, don't you? Am I the only one? <laughs> uh, you know, it's just so shallow. And, we're, and, and then you get to struggling. Come on now, listen to me. Then you get to struggling of things to say. Don't you hate it when you got an acquaintance and you're talking and you run out of something to say and they run out of something to say and you just go, oh, it's hot out here. <laughs> That's what a lot of prayer lives look like. You know, why? Because I haven't cultivated that relationship. And then here's what I find out with me and my wife. My wife's not a talker. Uh, I'm not a talker. Somebody said, yeah, the devil is a liar. I'm not. We can drive four hours without saying anything. We can. But you know what? It's okay. We're not uncomfortable. Why? Are you hearing me? We're connected. That's the, and why? Because of time spent. This is what your prayer life has got to look like if you want to go to this place. Relationship slash communication is a unique I need y'all to get this in your spirit. It's a unique activity of giving and receiving. Amen? Like we were doing earlier at the house, Bobby, just, I mean, we're just, it's relational. It's, it's communication. And you're throwing something out there that, that uh, in other words, this is what I got wrote down. Relationship slash communication is a unique activity of giving and receiving. I'm giving you a deep part of me and you're, uh, I'm giving you a deep part of me and you're giving me a deep part of you. That's true communication. That's building lasting relationship. That's getting past superficial of, you know, I'm holy and you're holy, you know, to God. It's, it's, that's what prayer is. It's that me giving. 
you giving back to me. And the deeper the relationship goes, the more we become alike. You ever notice that? They say about couples. When you're married over 40 years, you start looking alike. Oh, my Lord, Beth, I'll pray for you. Bless your heart. <laughs> Tell me I'll pray for you. Amen. But you may not start looking alike, but you start thinking alike. Can I get a witness from you that's been married several years? You know, because you become so part of one another, because you spent so much time giving and taking, uh, you just know them. They're a part of you, and you just take on the same habits. Are y'all listening to me? This is the same with the privilege of prayer. I'm giving, oh God, I'm giving an intimate part of me to God, and God is given to me an intimate part of himself. And as a result of genuine prayer, I'm becoming more like God. Oh my God, that's what prayer is supposed to do. Uh, because I'm giving into him that vulnerable self of me. That's why prayer is uncomfortable. It makes you vulnerable. You know, I used to be uncomfortable with corporate prayer, but I just don't care no more. You know, if you're just in it with me, then let's go with it. If not, I can't help it. I just want to pour everything I'm out to him. And what's happening to me even more now than ever, he keeps pouring into me. And I come out of prayer changed. I come out, Paul said, I pray in the Holy Ghost and mysteries are being revealed to me. It's like when I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, God is downloading his nature in me. Are y'all listening to me? All this only happens in prayer. This don't happen in good preaching. I'm just saying, it don't happen in good worship uh, to this degree. Amen. There's always impartation on their level there. But this level of prayer is to where uh, I, I'm becoming, I got a scripture for it. I'm becoming more like him because I hang out with him. Did you know uh, your accent is a product of your geographical location? Me and Patty was in California buying some shoes, and we were talking to that lady. Uh, she's a Californian, bless her heart. She said, y'all must be from Texas. Uh, we don't realize it, but we talk like where we're from. Are, are you following? You start taking on the characteristics of it. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18 says, the more we hang out with Jesus, something happens supernaturally, and you start taking on his character. Can I help somebody right now? Are y'all with me tonight? You, you, if you understand the power of prayer, 2 Corinthians 3.18 is what I just said. If you understand the prayer, you'll, you, 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 you can quit praying to be nice. You can quit praying to have mercy. You can quit begging God to have more grace. If you just hang out with him, it starts becoming who you are. And you ain't got walk around saying, I'm going to be forgiven today. I'm going to show mercy today. If you just had a prayer closet to where you spent time with him, I want to teach a lesson on natural response. That we ought to become so much like him that my natural response is to forgive you. Not I have to wrestle with it. That religion wrestles with it and makes it happen. But if I learn how to pray, I become so much like him, I don't have to fight these thoughts all the time that I take on the mind of Jesus. And I don't even have to wear blinders as a man around beautiful women. <laughs> that quiet right there. You understand what I'm saying? Because I start seeing them as the daughters of God. 
and my sisters. You want to know, know why the worship leader's running off with the pastor and all this garbage you hear? No prayer. Amen. Because if we was prayer and if we was really family, it would be like me running off with my sister. I want to teach that too. Amen. I don't lust. I got a beautiful sister. Her name's Tracy. She's just as pretty as she can be, but I don't lust after her. Why? Because she's a sister to me. This is what prayer builds. It builds family. It builds, you hear me? And there's so many things we wouldn't even have to fight or pray about if we understood the unique capability of just prayer. Just hanging out with God. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. You know what fruit is? Fruit is a product of a relationship between soil and tree. Amen. It ain't like that tree is saying, I'm telling you, I'm begging for apples. I'm begging for apples. Apples, you're coming on me today in the name of Jesus. Are y'all listening to me? I'm telling you, you're going to produce apples if it kills me. Amen. No, it's a relationship between a root and a dirt. And all of a sudden, apples pop out. That's the church God says, I'm pleased with that church. And in that church, I'm glorified. And you know what? Then they can tie you to a whipping post and beat you beyond recognition and you'll never deny your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a disgrace to our king to persuade people to stay saved. Did y'all catch that? It's an insult to the pulpit to preach. Don't quit God. Don't go back. Don't forsake God. Amen. It's an insult. We're missing something. We're missing something. We got to move on. This is the prayer, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18. But we all with an unveiled face as in a mirror beholding Jesus are changed into the same image from glory to glory. And here's the key, by the Spirit of God. Something spiritual happens. Isn't that a much better way of transformation than me gritting my teeth saying I'm going to walk straight? It is so much better just to get a prayer life and come out saying, I can't walk any other way. No wonder First John said, if you have the seed of God in you, you can't sin. That's ridiculous. It's an insult to our king to have to teach, don't sin. When it ought to be a natural response of a man who's in love with Jesus. It would be the same. Is every morning when I leave the house, my wife grabbing me by the ears and looking me in the face and saying, do not run around on me today. What kind of relationship? You know what I'm saying? And we have Bible classes and everything else to teach you not to run around on Jesus. It's because we've lost a high place called prayer. Amen. That you couldn't line enough stuff out there that tempts me because I'm in love. Because I have a relationship. Okay, let's move on. No wonder Jesus said, Luke 18, 1, if you want to write that down, it's in your note. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Somebody say, Jesus said that. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. The word faint means to become weeble. (laughs) Ah, hallelujah. The word faint means to become feeble and weak or weeble. Is that, (laughs) weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. (laughs) (laughs) Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Are y'all with me? Don't grow weak in what? Your prayer. Don't go feeble in what? 
your prayer. It means to, to be exhausted or, or faint with fatigue. Jesus said, you ought always to be in relationship with me. You ought always to be prayer. It shouldn't be a to-do event on your calendar for your day. He said, men ought always to pray. The Passion Translation says, keep praying and never stop. <laughs> That's Brian Simmons for you. Just keep praying and never stop. Amen. You know what that's really saying? Now that you know that prayer is relational, not religious, always be in relationship with me. That's what that scripture is saying. Always be in relationship with me. It's hard for me to run around on my wife if I'm always in relationship with her, with her or away from her. I'm always in relationship with her. Are y'all getting this tonight? You're always in relationship because you're always in a spirit of relational contact to God. Okay, uh, it goes on. The church was born in prayer and the church's response to Peter being put in prison was prayer. Uh, and what's amazing, while they were in corporate prayer, somebody say corporate prayer. While they were praying, angels was working. What if we could see what's going on in the atmosphere? And I love this scene. They're in a corporate prayer meeting because Peter gets thrown in jail. And while they're praying, an angel's kicking Peter in the side. You got anybody out there you need Jesus to kick? I do. I do. They're asleep in sin. <laughs> and I need, the, I, I need an angel to go kick them in the side and wake them up inside and spiritually. And in corporate prayer, what if we come together in corporate prayer and we could just see that God is sending angels based on what the church was doing behind closed doors. And, and when Peter stood up, chains fell off of him. They prayed long enough to get him out of chains, Doors were being opened because they were praying. We talked about it last week. I got to go on, but Jesus' prayer line says, In the morning, rising up a great day before, a great while before day, Jesus went out, went into a solitary place, and there prayed. Uh, I harp on this a lot, and I'm going to continue to do it. Amen. We've reduced prayer to mixing something real holy with something common. In other words, our prayer lives sometimes consist of only when I'm doing other activity. Driving to work, going somewhere. Well, I ain't got nothing else to do. I might as well pray. Are you following me? Amen. Think about relationship. If that's the only thing I did with her, that because I don't have anything else to do, I'll spend some time with you. What about sacrificial devotion? What about giving up some of my time because I want to be with you? trying to bring back the building blocks of the church. Jesus departed into a solitary place. There he prayed. Anybody know what solitary means? Huh? What does solitary mean? As an adjective, it means done or existing alone. Alone. No, that's enough. <laughs> it's that place where you're alone with God. There's corporate prayer. Okay, I'll take over here, Siri. <laughs> it's that place where you're alone with God. Jesus had to get alone with God. Don't you think we need to? To where I'm not sharing my secret place with other drivers. I'm not sharing it with anything or anybody else. Uh, just me and him. Luke 5, 16. And often Jesus withdrew himself into the wilderness and pray. Somebody shout, withdrew. Sometimes you've got to withdraw yourself. You've got to pull yourself out of society and publicity and public to find yourself a place to pray. Amen. 
<laughs> I remember when Lacey lived beside me before they moved down to Egypt. I mean, Allah. Uh, <laughs> They, that I would I walk and pray and I'm out here by my secret place and I would see her over on her back porch rocking and I would hear going after God. <laughs> Kids were running all around us and my God, how in the world she operate? Uh, but that was her place. You understand what I'm saying? You, the, you, if you never withdraw your place, you're re- withdraw yourself, you're robbing yourself from a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't say it no plainer than that. Prayer shouldn't just be in public place or when someone's looking or someone's watching. Uh, Luke 6 and 12, uh, he came to pass in those days. He went into a mountain to pray, and Jesus prayed all night long. That's in your Bible. If Jesus thought there was such a value on prayer, how have we lost our veneration and the importance of prayer? Uh, Okay, I got more scriptures there, but let's, let's go on. Point number two of building this house, things that's got to be brought back in, things that they built the church on. The next building block, are you ready? Write it down. You're going to love this one, fasting. Fasting. Uh, now, I need you to remember before I talk about this just a little bit, Satan does not have to steal the activity All he's got to do is steal your honor for it. Satan steals honor for something usually a lot of times through ignorance. We don't understand fasting. And it's kind of left a bad taste in our mouth because we went through a phase to where we wore fasting as a badge of honor. I mean, and so we would throw out there, if you'll fast this much, this much, this much, that's so far from what God wants. So, so fasting's just become something, you know, it's optional, you know. Matter of fact, I really hate this that has happened. Uh, it bothers me, so don't never do it to me, to call fasting religious. We start calling spiritual things religious because of the false teaching or teaching out of ignorance and using it to manipulate God. Let's work this a little while, Okay. Uh, when fasting becomes an element of manipulation or a badge of spirituality or some toll we pay so God will listen to us, we've missed the power and privilege of prayer. I meant of fasting. Did you catch all that? It's just a toll I'm paying God. I don't know what it means, but if I pay enough of it, I think God's going to hear me. That's, that's the... It's so far from what fasting is supposed to be. But shallow preachers get up and say, fast, just fast, just fast, you know. And, and, and so through ignorance, you can't have veneration for something you don't understand. Matter of fact, you'll run from it. Or you'll try it. But if I don't have the proper honor for what I'm trying, I'll wear out on it. Are, are y'all with me? You may ask what I'm talking about. You know what? What's the point? I'm the type of guy, if I'm not doing something that I know will produce an end, I'm not real interested. I can't stay interested. I can't stay committed. I believe that's why people can't stay committed to prayer because I really can't see this producing the end. I'm just going to try to do enough of it. And then the question of how much is enough? Two days a week? Three days a week? 40 days? Then will God hear me? Are y'all with me? Let's try to get it right tonight because that's one of the sacred building blocks that the church was built on. 
I can prove it to you by Scripture. Uh, so Satan has stolen this from us through lack of understanding. Uh, and I'm going to repeat myself again. But when it becomes an element of manipulation, I think that's the biggest thing. That somehow in our mind we think we're going to manipulate God because I fasted for him to do something for me. The first question is, why would you have to manipulate a father to do for you what he wanted to do for you in the first place? And if you can really receive deep theology, why would you want to manipulate a father who's already done what you're needing him to do for you? Uh, let's work that just a little bit. Are y'all following me now on fasting? Uh, so actually, uh, fasting does not deal with God and it does not move God. I'm going to say that again. Fasting don't even deal with God. Prayer is dealing with God. But fasting don't deal with God and it don't move God. But fasting does deal with you and moves you out of the way so God can do what he wanted to do in the first place. Is this making any sense to y'all? This ought to change everything. Amen. Uh, I'm going to say that again. Fasting does not deal with or move God. Fasting deals with me and moves me out of God's way so he can do what he wanted to do in the first place before you fasted. Well, help me understand the purpose here. Okay, I will. Listen to me. The devil is... I love that song y'all sing. I don't remember any songs, but I remember one line in one song that God has no rival. He has no rival. God don't have an enemy. Are, are you understand? He don't even have an enemy. There's nothing that can even touch him. He's so powerful, <laughs> he don't have an enemy because an enemy is fruitless to God. He can't touch God. He can't do anything to God. Well, well, let me bring that down to you. The devil is not my greatest enemy. I am my greatest enemy. Uh-huh, that's really real. I am my greatest enemy. The devil gets a credit for a whole lot of stuff he did not do, I did. I self-sabotage more than the devil sabotages me. Oh, I need y'all to get this. Amen. Uh, so so uh, the enemy is in a me. Are you following me? Now, there's spiritual warfare, and I believe in all that, and that needs to, we need to know more about it. But if we'll just understand what fasting was. Actually, fasting does nothing to the devil. So fasting's not dealing with God, and fasting is not dealing with the devil. Fasting is about you. It's dealing with you. Uh, fasting, uh, in other words, what's it dealing with? My feelings, my emotions, my faulty mindsets. This is what fasting is for. I need you to understand this or you're never going to fast productively. You may, you may go on a starvation mode, 
but you're just going to lose some weight. Yippee. Praise God for that. So fasting is designed to deal with the soulish part of me. That part of me that is tempted to doubt, that part of me that is tempted to be skeptical, that's what fasting is designed to deal with. It deals with me. It's an all-out war against your flesh. That's what fasting is. It's taking a stand and saying, I'm going to practice saying no to me. Pushing your plate back is practice of you saying no to you. And the greatest power, greater is a man who can control his spirit than he that can take a city. That's the word of God. Amen. That's a strong man that can say no to me. You're, the majority of your problems is because you can't say no to you. Can't say no to your mind. Can't say no to your mouth. Can't say no to your ears. Are y'all listening to me? This is what fasting is designed for. It's to train you and to subdue you. Not God. Oh, help me make it clear. Uh, so fasting purges my spiritual senses. Fasting purges my spiritual senses that have been diluted by me. That ought to, that ought to give you a reason to fast. And if you don't think you need to fast, you're so diluted you're polluted. If you don't think you need to fast, when Jesus, I'm going to prove, if he had to fast, if the first church had to fast over every decision, every, every move they fasted over, why? Because it purges my senses so I hear better, I see better, I make better decisions, I'm more sensitive to the environment of that other world called the spiritual world. Why? Because as I decrease, he increases. And nothing is designed more to decrease you and your carnal nature than your appetite, controlling your appetite. He said their God is their belly. We're controlled by carnal appetites. Fasting purges your spiritual senses that's been diluted by your flesh, and it makes you more aware of God's godness. I didn't say God's goodness. And if you don't believe me, fast and fast right. Fast and fast with the right motive. Not so God will heal somebody. Amen. See, that fasting may work if we did it right. But if I'm fasting to get God to heal somebody, I'm outside of the will of God. I'm literally saying he's a father that I have to pay a price so you can be healed. That's so contrary to scripture when he paid the price. Well, uh, we can't get together and fast for somebody to be healed. We could, we could if we did it with the right motive. What is the right motive, pastor? We're fasting, not so you can, so God will heal you. We're fasting so that we become so spiritually in tune with God we lay hands on you and declare what God's already done. Are y'all catching this teaching? 
We, we got it all back. In other words, we're back to manipulation. Okay, we're all going to fast so God will heal this individual. And God said, you've missed the whole point of fasting. Fasting, I'm going to prove it to you by Scripture, is to put you in a position, amen, that you understand my godness and your faith goes to the next dominion and you execute what I've already done. Is that clear? Is that good? That's, that's what fasting is all about. Let's go deeper into some scriptures and we'll, we'll, we'll bring that out. Let's start out. Jesus is perfect theology. I didn't coin that phrase. I think you did, but I love it. Huh? <laughs> uh, he's perfect theology. So everything on our building, we're building. We're, we're building God's house again, right? We started with prayer. We slipped into fasting. Uh, so let's see what's the scriptural uh, references to that prayer that holds up this doctrine of fasting. Matthew 4, 1 and 2. Just write it down. It says, Jesus was led up into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he got hungry. Well, that's revelation. Huh? Jesus, our Savior, the Master, had to fast. He fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. Write down Matthew 6, 16. Here's what Jesus said. These are the words of Christ. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast. So really, Jesus didn't teach them to fast. They were in such a culture of fasting that they were going to fast. So Jesus said, if you're going to fast, let's do it right. Okay? So he didn't have to teach you ought to fast. Jesus said, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Sad countenance. They disfigured their faces that they may appear unto men to fasting. That they could walk around and say, I'm fasting. Do you see the narcissism in that? Huh? I want people to know I'm sacrificing. We don't understand what fasting's all about, do we? We're promoting the flesh we're supposed to be destroying with the very object that we're doing. Fasting. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? We're puffing up something that's supposed to be dying because I'm sacrificing for God. And God said, eat. He ain't doing me no good. He's going to get you a hamburger, dude. <laughs> uh, so they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. He said, I tell you what, you got your reward. You know what your reward was for fasting? Somebody walked off and said, wow, they're not eating today. <laughs> That's your reward. Wow, they must be spiritual. They're not eating today. I don't want that reward. How about you? I don't need that reward. I need the reward of a flesh that died and a spirit who went to the next level. Okay? That's what fasting does. 17 says, but you, he said, don't fast like them hypocrites. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. In other words, what that's talking about is that's what they do. With, he said, just act like you've been eating. You know? Just act like you, you go right on like you ain't doing nothing. Nobody knows, but you are crucifying your flesh. Verse 18, that you appear unto men to fast. Let me back up 17. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that thou may appear not unto men to fast, so they don't even know you're making this sacrifice to God, but unto your Father. Oh, he said, if you're going to do it, let's do it right. He said, but your father, which sees you in secret, is going to reward you openly. Now, which reward do you want? Somebody to walk off and say, wow, they're spiritual. They're not eating today. 
Or do you want God to see what you're doing in the secret place and reward you openly by allowing supernatural things to flow out of you? That they could see your good works and glorify the Father that's in heaven. Here's another one for you. Mark, or Matthew 9, 14, 15. Then came, the, the, uh, then came to him the disciples of John saying, Why do we the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples are not fasting? See, they were in a culture of fasting. They understood the culture. And Jesus said, can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom are with them? He said, he said, there's no need for them to fast. I'm right here. I'm right here with them. I'm, they're just following me. They're my little sheep. They're little ducks following me. But look what he said. He said, but, when, but the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Are you following me? That's us, y'all, because he's gone, right? He said, when I'm gone, they will begin fasting. Write down this, Matthew 17, 19 through 21. Then the disciples came to Jesus apart and said, here's, here's, here's the biggie. Why? They tried to cast out a devil and was unsuccessful. Y'all remember that story? They couldn't get the job done. They had done a lot of things, but they had stepped into a dimension like I preached this morning that they could not handle and said, man, we done, you know, same thing we were doing on that level is not working on this level. Uh, but what I love about his disciples, when Jesus, when they got apart, they said, why, why couldn't we cast this out? This is the problem I have with the church. We're not having these meetings and we're not stopping and saying, why ain't this working? I have a problem with that. Pride will shut your mouth and won't let you ask questions. We can't get right answers if we don't have right questions. And if we, uh, I can't get bogged down in that. They said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Tie these two together now. Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible to you. However, this kind, are you following me? There is a dimension that we're wanting to step into. He's, right? Till we deal with this kind. You can deal with this kind on the level you're on now. But, but, but I'm trying to pull you into a greater dimension. And I preached it this morning. You can't operate on greater dimension on same level of devotion. Okay? So, so catch this. However, this kind goes out only by prayer and fasting. Now, now what was his first statement when they said, why couldn't we do this? Because of your unbelief. So what does fasting do? It attacks. It, 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 it's designed, thank you, to destroy everything carnal about me. My doubts. My insecurities, are you following me? Amen. Some of you may be too confident to fast. You know, God bless your heart. You need to fast over your overconfidence. Yeah, seriously, I'm going to teach on that tomorrow night. Uh, uh, so he said uh, the reason it didn't work is because of a level of unbelief and then said, uh, which is something in me, not in God. <laughs> it's not in God, it's in me. He says, so the only way to deal with that deep root that stopped you from operating on a level to set a young man free is your unbelief. And he said, the only way you can operate on this level is prayer okay, but fasting with it. Amen. This is why you sh we, sh we should fast. 
can I move on and get away from this topic? <laughs> huh? Huh? There you go. That's good. Fasting is a pruning of you. Like I said, whether it's mindsets or whatever, amen. But you know what we'll do? We'll just keep struggling and move on. Uh, why? Because fasting is the hardest thing you're ever going to do next to prayer. Am I right about it? We got every excuse in the world why not to fast. Well, if we're not going to fast, let's quit blaming God for not moving. <laughs> you know, huh? Oh, oh, yes, I thought about your word there, Sister Griffin. Uh, Tammy's saying, I love it, fasting aligns us with the will of God because Jesus wouldn't have cast the devil out of the boy if it wasn't God's will. So it was God's will from the beginning. The disciples just had too much of them to get the job done. So I love that. Look at it that way. Put that in your note. Fast is a, fasting is aligning my spirit with the will of God. This stuff here ought to start raising. Am I raising the value of fasting yet with a word? That's my goal is to raise veneration for fasting. Amen. And we can come up with all kind of excuses. Isn't it amazing how many excuses we can come up with not to fast? Am I the only one? <laughs> Have you ever noticed tomorrow is always a better day to fast? Isn't that crazy? Tomorrow I'm going to fast. <laughs> Until 12 o'clock. You know what? I think I'll eat today. <laughs> Me and her just had this conversation. I think I'm going to go ahead and eat, you know, because, yeah, baby, cook me some bacon too. Good. Restores all in wonder. That's so good. So we're going to start fasting, right? But we're not religiously going to start starving ourselves. We're going to go to praying, right? But we're not religiously going to throw together prayer meetings. Are y'all with me tonight? No, we're going to pray for God to raise the value, the awe and the wonder of it so that it produces what it's supposed to produce in our lives. And then I promise you, when we break through, the momentum is going to be momentous. Yeah, that worked. Did it work? Thank you. No, okay. <laughs> Bliss liked it. I'm, I'm with you. Are, are you following me? Once you break through, it's something you gravitate to. It's like you tie into something that works. Because how many has had failure in fasting? How many have failure in prayer? The disciples did, but they came to the right source and says, we want to know why. Are y'all listening to the revelation I'm pouring out tonight? And I'm just using Jesus to tell us why. So now the question is, what are we going to do with it? This is kingdom advance. We're going to use it. Uh, but I got to drop this in here before we quit our class tonight. Okay, we see how Jesus fasts, and then he told us, your unbelief's robbing you, and the only thing going to take care of, that, care of that is the prayer and mix with fasting. That also tells me there's some things that can be handled with prayer. But then there's some things that only comes by fasting. Why? Not because God has to be persuaded, because i got to line myself up. Oh, God, I'm so glad y'all are such an awesome class. But let's look at the, 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 the church. Write these scriptures down. Acts 13, 1 through 3. 
Now, they were in the church that was Antioch, certain prophets and teachers. Listen, I'm just showing you the importance of prayer in different avenues, okay, of why this church cannot be built, God's church cannot be built properly unless we take back the high places from the devil. And one of them is fasting. Listen at the early church, Acts chapter 1, 13. Now there were in the church that was Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Manin, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Verse, excuse me, verse number two. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And look what happened. That's Acts 13, one through three. I love this and they ministered to the Lord. I should have broke that down and we should teach on that. They was ministering to the Lord. You ministers, who are you ministering to? Are you ministering to a crowd? Are you ministering to a person? What if our whole theme was, I'm ministering to the Lord? I wonder if that would change your ministry. I wonder if you would put more value on it. I wonder if we would, I got to go. As they ministered to the Lord and fasting, fasted. Look what happened, verse number two. And the Holy Ghost said, I wonder how much the Holy Ghost wants to say, but he can't speak to carnal ears. He needs ears that's been hewn and molded by fasting. Spiritual ears. <laughs> oh my God, thank God for an early church that understood the power of it. They, uh, and the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I called them. How in the world did that happen? Was it an audible voice? Y'all ever read the Bible like this? This is crazy. They prayed and fasted and Holy Ghost said, I called Saul and Barnabas, send them out. Amen. We don't have to vote on it. We don't have to get anybody's permission. They just prayed and fasted and God said, send these two men. What kind of direction does the Holy Ghost have for you that you have missed because you wouldn't mix prayer, fasting with your prayer? We just wanted an easy direction, easy instruction but they sacrifice their, their flesh. Amen. You ever say, I'm not hearing from God? Maybe I'm answering your questions why we're not hearing from God on the level they heard from God. Huh? Maybe you got some type of little prayer life but have no fasting life whatsoever. Is there a realm out there? Yes, there is. That I can tap into with my spirit if I wasn't so full of flesh. Hey, he said, Ida Boshata. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost moving in here. He's, he's raising the value of fasting right now. Are y'all feeling it? They uh, separate me, Paul. Look at verse number three. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. It wasn't no flippy it here, you go over there. You know, I'm trying to send you to Texas to get in a church over there. And this, that. No, they prayed and fasted over things. They got the will of God, and then they laid hands on them. This is how they ran the church. Are y'all following me? This is how the church was run. We don't need no committee meeting to decide. Let's pray. <laughs> well, that's so out of our culture. Huh? What do we ought to be doing in the church? Let's pray and see what the Holy Spirit says. I practiced this in the church. Y'all know I went and spent the whole week of July. I did apostolic work with the church uh, down there in Texas that was just needing structure. And, and we established some elders. I called them into a prayer meeting and God said, try it. Try it. In the middle of prayer, I stopped uh, and began to ask them, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? God began to speak and established order that they're building on right now because of what the Holy Ghost said. Are y'all following me? He wants to talk to you. 
He wants to speak to us. He wants to iron out problems. He wants to give you creative ideas. He, 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 he wants to, but maybe it's our lack of fasting that's robbing us. Okay, move on. Uh, write down Acts 14, 21 through 23. I'm just showing you what the church was built on, and if we don't bring it back, we can't build the house. I'm taking that high place back in my life, and it's already changing my life. It is, I promise you. Verse 14, 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned to Lystra and Iconium in Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples, I'm in 14, 22, and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. That needs to be preached and taught on too. Through much tribulation, you're going to enter the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with what? They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. There they are again. They didn't do anything without prayer and fasting. Why is fasting foreign in the body of Christ? Come on now, we're building a church now that God can be pleased with and be glorified in. All right? Uh, here's some scriptures. 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 5. I'm not going to teach them. Write them down. 2 Corinthians 11, 26, 27. Yeah, uh, and I could just go on and on, but I don't have to because you're catching it, right? That fasting is one of the high places that they so held in veneration, they would not let the devil have it. We've got to bring it back into our lives individually and then into our lives corporately. We could go back in the Old Testament and kings would call fast for victories to be won. Their cows couldn't even eat. Their pigs fasted. Well, they didn't have pigs. Their sheep fasted. He would call fast. Mamas, kids, everybody fasted. Why? They understood the principle of me laying myself down that God could be glorified. Uh, okay, another building block. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about fasting. There's no way you can talk about that without the, the next building block is the Word of God. So we talked about that, so I may run past it. But one thing I do need you to know, because I want, because I feel the Holy Spirit tonight raising the value of these building blocks again. Do y'all feel that? Fasting, that now you have a knowledge of it that you can put the right value on it. Uh, but the Word of God, uh, I'm afraid we've lost a veneration for it as well. You, you know we have in your own personal life. It happens to us. The devil will steal that from us. Uh, but the Bible says the word of God is not any private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So in other words, this Bible is breathed by God. It is the breath of God. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. Amen. But the unique thing about all principle or uh, kingdom principles or spiritual elements, whether it's the word, whether it's fasting, whether it's prayer, the activity of it, alone is dead. I don't, I'm not being disrespectful, but this Bible right here is dead if it's dead to you. You understand what I'm saying? If it's just something you do religiously, it's, you might as well read the Reader's Digest. Is that legal, Lord, <laughs> to say that? But, but really, you understand what I'm saying? So in other words, we got to get out of this mode of, I'm just... saying 
I'm going to read my Bible, why don't we stop and say, oh, my God, the devil's stealing my honor for the word. Are you following me? Let your prayer change. Don't, don't, don't just go on like nothing happened. My battery probably died. Don't worry about it. Uh, like nothing happened, let's just stop and say, God, the devil stole a high place out of my life. And I don't want to struggle reading your word. Come on, let's just get real right now. Huh? Anybody ever struggle reading the word? Absolutely. I guess you do. Maybe you're so holy you don't. I don't know. Uh, but maybe I shouldn't just struggle through but stop and say, oh, my God, why am I losing it? Right? Is that fair enough for y'all? Why, why, why don't I have a sentimental value for the word? <laughs> why, why don't I have a respect and an awe for the word? I believe God would so honor that more, you know, instead of I got my Bible reading in. Thank you. Uh, you know, that I'm, I'm going to pray for that to be renewed. That scripture I throwed out is in 2 Peter 1.20. Uh, but, but I want to throw out some scriptures for just a few more minutes on what the word of God meant, what it meant. Isn't it amazing how we can watch a three-hour ball game? We can go to a two-hour movie. We can sit and watch hours of TV. We can sit at a computer all day long at work. But when it comes to the preaching of the gospel, when it comes to the word of God, 45 minutes is too long. This is a plug for me right here. I, I mean, really. I mean, really. You understand what I'm saying? My God, is he going to shut up? I mean, really. Come on, y'all. Let's, 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 let's think about this. Is it because we haven't stopped and considered our ways? Have we? Wait a minute. If I valued this, you, you want me to tell you how much, and I'm just helping you as your pastor. You want me to tell you how much you put value you put on the word? Amen. I want to ask you a question. Who's your favorite preacher outside of me? I didn't mean that narcissistically. No, really. Who, who do you listen to outside of me? Who's another preacher you've tapped into? What's another TV preacher you love? What's, what's uh, iPods are you tying into? Yeah, that's it. Podcast. Really, are y'all going with me? Are you, are you flowing with me? Amen. Or do you just hear the word preached when you come to this house? Huh? It'll show you. Yeah, isn't it? it? It will. It'll show. This ain't condemnation now. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's during the week. Do you ever have a desire to hear a word? Huh? It, it'll start showing you. And what I found, the more I pour into me, the more I want of it. Uh, uh, you'll see the more you feed this spirit. Jody, I believe that's what's contributing to your success. Six years of terrible addiction you couldn't break, in and out, up and down. But when you came back saying, man, I found this preacher that I love. I, I knew right then you're headed in the right direction. I feel conviction slipping into this building right now. And I want you to embrace it, not condemnation of God. Uh, I... It's legal right now to say, God, is there something wrong with me? It's legal to say it right now. That I'm not hungry. The first thing he said, or when he started preaching the principles of the kingdom, blessed are those who have a hunger for the things of God because they're going to be filled. Amen. Stir up that appetite to where the word being preached, being sang. Why ride down the road and listen to a bunch of stuff that's feeding your carnal when you can be riding down the road listening to something that's stirring up a new uh, sense of value for the things that are feeding your spirit. Are y'all feeling my heart? 
This is in no wise any condemnation. But it'll start bringing a reality check to your life of, amen. Why do you just go to church, you know, uh, uh, and hear preaching on a Sunday? Why, why, why am I having trouble with my word? He said, uh, Job said, write this down, 30, 23 and 12. He said, neither have I gone back from your commandment of your lips, and I have esteemed the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. He said, this is how important your word is to me. I, I, I'm not there yet. Are you? I esteem your word more necessary. Excuse me. Somebody say necessary. Necessary than my food. Maybe it's the lack of the realization of the necessity has robbed our value. Did I say that right? If we understood how necessary it was, maybe we would put a higher value on it. That's what I was trying to say. It's just a Bible. We're just supposed to read it. Oh, God, God's doing something in this class tonight. Maybe not to everybody, but somebody's catching it with me. Amen. Jeremiah said, you're 15, 16, write it down. Your words were found. I did eat them. And your word was the joy of my heart and the rejoicing of my heart. <laughs> uh, does the Bible make you feel that way? I found your words. I, did, I ate them. I partook of them. I, I, that, that become my nourishment and as a result it was the joy and rejoicing of my heart golly that's Old Testament guys 1 Peter 2, 2 as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word why? that you may grow thereby in other words if you don't have the words you can't grow hmm? there's one that ought to raise the value huh and, 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 and your uh Level and magnitude of growth is based upon the level and magnitude of intake. So if the word makes me grow spiritually, then my spirit can only grow at the same degree of the spiritual food I put in. He said, desire the sincere meal. I'm going to move on from that. Uh, but it actually breaks down, if you read Dr. Simmons, that the word unadulterated word actually breaks all the way down to the word antibiotic that the word is literally an antibiotic that will deliver you of the disease of yourself. <laughs> Did y'all catch that? The word of God is an antibiotic that will deliver you of the terrible fatal disease of yourself. Because it's contrary to you. It's sharper than any two years. It brings division between flesh and spirit. That's what the word does. I got to quit. Y'all are getting tired. I've got four uh, two or three more. The next one I was going to talk about is presence. This is another building block that has to come back to the house of God. Just write it down. Presence. The other one was going to be worship, and I may come back to these. <laughs> Kobe said, please, you're going to talk to us about fasting and prayer, and ain't going to talk about presence? <laughs> uh, I will throw this out to you because it is still a little early, and we already know the saints is one. Is that right, Jason? Did they do it? Oh, I know you know. Can I tell you something about presence? It's very important. Write it down. Why is presence so important? Because it was a, found, a fundamental foundational truth that they refused to operate without it. I want to, we're going to go into some corporate prayers together. Uh, we're, we're, we're putting together the identity of Life Church, working with elders to be able to do that. We're going to teach that and we're going to pray on that. But one thing you're going to begin to pray together corporately is, God, we refuse to have another service without your presence. I ain't talking about hype. I'm not talking about preferism. 
if that's the word, preferring preferences, you know, where I get hickama jigs and chill bumps. I'm talking about a presence that brings conviction, a presence that brings repentance, a presence that brings healing, a presence that brings deliverance. This is so important that when they were going into the promised land, God said, I'm mad at y'all and I ain't going with y'all no more. I won't ride with y'all. He said, I will send an <laughs> ain't God something. I ain't going with you. I'll send you an angel, but I ain't hanging out with you. And Moses said, whoa. Huh? What if we become a church that said, we will not preach without presence. We will not pray without presence. We will not worship without presence. Amen. And when I say presence, we won't have to stand and say, the Lord is in this place. <laughs> I've been praying. <laughs> You got to put that little Shonda Pierce on it. Amen. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm praying for a presence that two-year-olds, three-year-olds, eight-years-old are standing there enamored by the presence of God and nobody has to tell them. It's a culture that they come up with. That if we ever walk in here and it's not, we shut down. Huh? They lost one battle and they stopped and said, whoa. Why is the presence of God not here? Are y'all listening to me? This is really important. Something supernatural is happening tonight and he's raising the value. Do you ever think about that? I want presence in my life. I want it in my home. But why don't you start praying, God, when we come in your house Sunday, we want your presence manifested. If I get to preach, fine. If we get to worship, fine. But if not, we don't care. We want your presence. This is why Moses said, I don't even have scriptures for this. Two reasons. Number one, Psalm somewhere said God inhabits the praises of his people. That word inhabits means enthroned. In other words, your worship builds the throne for the presence of king to sit on. I wonder what your chair looks like that you build. <laughs> if your worship is building the throne... I wonder what it looks like every Sunday morning with you sitting back there doing this. God's looking down at that little chair of yours. <laughs> you want me to inhabit that? Oh, my God. I'm being silly, but this is good stuff, isn't it? He said, I inhabit, I'm enthroned with the praises of it. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our worship corporately ought to be building this throne for the king that is conducive and respectable for the king. Amen. Uh, I had a friend one time that weighed, uh, he weighed 500, but he lost down and got pretty small, around 450. Amen. And he said, he said, y'all don't think about this, but when I walk in a room, I'm looking at chairs. He said, I'm, I'm looking at chairs because I can't sit in any chair. It takes something to hold this. You know what I'm saying? And, and I just wonder if God's walking into our worship service looking at chairs. <laughs> looking at chairs said, ha uh, uh amen. What do you think I am, a little peewee? A peanut? Come on, we got to be worshipers, amen? It's not about uh, animated over-exaggeration. How do you over-exaggerate the goodness of God? How, you know, how do you put too much emphasis on how magnificent he is? He said, I inhabit the presence. They, Moses said, God, we're not, I'm, don't take me. Did you, do you catch that? God said, I'm going to give you all them promises you want. I'm just not going with you. Mo Moses said, I'll trade every bit of that for you. What if we got like that? 
I'll trade every promise, every good thing you can give me. <laughs> I just want you. Oh, What if we got like that instead of our prayer lives be nothing but a to-do list for God? What if our fasting turned around? I'm just fasting because I want more of you. What? Huh? Huh? I don't know yet. Oh, if you want me to, I will. Yes, let's do it tonight. Let's do impartation tonight because there's something in me and on you I want to impart into you. And God has convicted me and I'm going to do a teaching on the laying on of hands. Did y'all know that was one of the building blocks of the New Testament church? Uh, so, so, so we'll do that, but I want to close with this. This is why Moses said, if you don't go with us, I'll just hang out here. He said, because how will they know we are yours except your presence be on us? It's the distinguishing factor from every other organization, religious institution in the world. The only real distinguishing factor is that your presence is upon us. And so when they moved across the desert, there was a cloud by day of glory, and there was a fire by night. You could stand back, Cherish, and see a visible manifestation of the presence of God on them people. What if we said we're not going any further without this? Let's take a minute. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, but if you want to come up here right quick, just come up here and just line up. We're just going to fulfill scripture. I wish I could teach on the laying of hands before I do it. Number four was worship, Kobe. It was worship. And we'll talk about it later. Before I just come down and make contact with you, I need you to know God has given me a gift. And he's not giving me a gift because I'm better than you or because I'm special. It's just because I am the called as the lead pastor of this church. And, and Paul and him understood that it was the laying on of hands that imparted out of one entity into another entity. So once again, we're, we're not going to be just hooked to a ritual of laying on of hands. Tonight, we're learning how to accept it and receive it. Are you following me? How to accept it and receive it. Because there's one thing about the kingdom of God, and we'll talk about it on the teacher later. It's not just the laying on the hands that's powerful. It's the receptivity that pulls it out. Jesus, a woman touched him, and he said, I felt virtue go out of me. She literally, with her hunger and faith, that he had something she needed, that she pulled it out of him. Amen. I'm a man just like you, but I'm telling you the word of God that he set it up for men to be able to lay hands and us to be able to receive. So tonight, what is our topic of laying on the hands and praying? Simply that God would restore a level of veneration for prayer, for fasting, for the word of God. Is that good? Are y'all with me? To where there's a new sentiment. Josh, you going to start some music? Just that seems to be the appropriate religious thing to do. <laughs> so this is not so awkward. <laughs> and we don't have to take a whole lot of time. I'm just going to start. 
And I want you right now, forget about me. I just need you to get the ground ready. God told me I'm going to gift you to impart. Not just the spoken word, but I'm going to gift you to impart. Father, double I'm even going to use oil. Where's my anointing oil? Because that's scripture too. And we're bringing back all. I'm telling you. Pour a little bit of my hand. I'm telling you. This is kingdom advance. Kingdom advance. This church is advancing. We've done some of this stuff thousands of times, but it's changing right now. Father, I'm just touching them like the apostles did in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.com.